I think it was the second or third week into the first semester of my college career when my anthropology instructor asked me to see her after class. And we had just submitted the first assignment. I think it was a a short writing assignment, homework assignment of some sort. And so my initial reaction was to think, wow, two, three weeks into college and I've already gone and screwed something up somehow. And so when I met with her after class, that is exactly what I was expecting her to tell me. And what she said was that she was, in fact, confused. And I asked, of course, what about? To which she said that she was confused why she was in my class. Now, that only made me feel as if, wow, I, I am correct about this. I do not belong here. And I don't know what my response or reaction specifically was, but she clarified very quickly that she didn't understand why I wasn't in her honors class class based on the homework that I had submitted. And this this struck me as, as very strange, very odd, as a student in high school who wasn't bad but didn't stand out in any particular high academic way other than taking all the standard exams. I never took any of the advanced placement AP exams or scored particularly high on any of those other exams, such as the SAT. They're all slightly above average scores, I think, but nothing, again, that really stood out from the mold. And so I was confused by by her assessment here, and I said as much to her that... um, I don't, I don't understand. What do you mean? And she said, well, based on your writing, I, I don't know how come you're not in my honors class. Why aren't you in the honors program? And so I told her, I said, well, my grades just weren't good enough in high school to apply to the honors program, which I don't even think I knew about the honors program. But looking into it, they were, in fact, not high enough to get into the honors program when I did check check it out. But again, I didn't even think, I didn't even consider to look into that program and apply to that program. And she very quickly told me, here's what you should do. Go down to this office, meet with so-and-so, ask to meet with so-and-so, tell them I sent you, and they'll add you to the program. And I, I was sort of shocked by all of this because it's not just not what I had expected, but it was something that I hadn't even thought was possible. And so I did apply to the program and I did get in pretty much immediately and was able to complete that program and actually quite successfully, I think I graduated that program with a, I think about a 3.8 GPA. Fast forward a few semesters later and I had another instructor who Similarly, similarly told myself and a few other students to stay after class out of a lecture hall of, I don't know, maybe 100 students or so. A little less pessimistic now, I was kind of excited to hear what the professor might have to say. She was a, a bit older, and I, I really respected her and uh, loved her insight. This was actually a history class. And she told us, I think it was maybe three of us, that we should, whatever we want to do, 
make sure that we we did it because our our work and our writing in particular really stood out from all the rest. And so I found that is is quite encouraging as well. Fast forward all the way to the end of my undergraduate academic career, my well, senior, senior year, uh, the last class I took, I believe it was a contemporary literature class, was a summer class, last class I needed to graduate. And for the third time, I had an instructor ask me and a couple other students to stay after class to speak with her. And what she told us was that she didn't know what type of writing we might like to do in the future, but that we should definitely write something. We should definitely be writing. And I, I really liked that advice. I really appreciated that advice. And in fact, that's advice that I myself now give to students similarly. I think it's worth pausing to really ask and reflect upon the question of why write at all? This is, this is a question that it's, it's almost difficult to, to answer in any one way, let alone any clear way, because there's so many different ways and reasons that you can write. And I think much like with many other either professional or high aspirational positions or careers or, you know, wh whatever, whatever else you want to point to, we oftentimes get stuck in looking at the ultimate goals. So for example, many young people may aspire to be professional athletes, right? Or certainly their, their parents want them to be the next Derek Jeter or the next uh, Wayne Gretzky or the next Tom Brady, whoever, right? And of course, as we all know, not only do the vast, vast majority of those, those kids not become those idols, right? They don't even reach the level of that professional sport, right? And you can extrapolate that that situation to a lot of other industries, like I said, including writing. And so this is an important question to ask when you ask yourself, why do I want to become a writer? You have to first ask, well, you know, what is a writer? What is it to write and why? Similarly to the comparison of sports athletes, I think I've known a lot of people throughout my academic career and now professional career who do fall into this idea that being a writer means being the next Mark Twain or Virginia Woolf or Kurt Vonnegut or whoever else you want to point to, right? Whoever your literary hero or idol is. But as we all know with the Tom Brady's and Derek Jeter's of the world, very few of us ever climb to that level. But that's obviously okay, right? I mean, there are other ways to be 
be an idol and be inspiring and to be impactful. And so when I ask this question again of why become a writer, I think we have to broaden the scope of what a writer is. And what I tell students quite simply is that you are a writer if you write. And that's the number one thing that I find aspiring writers don't do enough of. Interestingly enough, oddly enough. I think it's discouraging for many writers, especially young writers, who get stuck trying to write the next great American novel. It's difficult to try to accomplish such a Herculean task like that, right? And when that goal is not reached, they often sort of drop off. I mean, I know so many writers, as a writer myself, and I studied creative writing in grad school, that's actually what I got my MFA in, I know so many brilliant, brilliant writers and brilliant, brilliant minds who no longer write. And some of it is discouraging, but some of it is just, some of it, I'm sorry, rather, is because they became discouraged because, again, they, they never turned out that, that next great 400-page novel in the American literary canon. But others, they've simply found different avenues or different niches. And again, this is not to say that you can't publish a novel, you can't write a book. I know plenty of my contemporaries who I went to grad school with who are published authors of novels of different sorts. So it's certainly an obtainable goal, but it's not the only one is, is my point. There are other ways that you can use writing to however you want to think about it, a societal advantage, a personal development advantage, just to have fun, to improve oneself. And so to me, that journey of figuring out why it is that you want to write and therefore what you do want to write about is, is sort of key. So if we think about writing in this way, I think we should approach how to be a writer in just some very practical ways. And so there's a, a few bits of advice that I typically give to students that I find are essentially universally helpful. Again, thinking about this larger or rather broader philosophy of, well, there's so many different avenues of different types of writing that you can do. So as an example, there's obviously the novel writing, like I said, but there's lots of other types of writing, right? There's blogging, writing for social media, and there's a lot of different pathways you can go down related to that. The fact that there's an entire field of literature called Twitterature, I mean, I think that says it all, right? Just look up Twitterature and see what see what you turn up. You may be surprised by how creative people become outside that traditional mold again of just thinking of writing and writers as authors who publish novels. Some of which do these other projects, but again, there's no shortage of ways to use writing to produce different types of material, right? 
And so the advice I give to students with that mindset in terms of figuring out what it is that they want to write and why is I give them three rules. And the first rule that I tell them is to not just read, but read different types of work. Read challenging work. Read especially work that you think you might not like. And when I say that you might not like, it's not necessarily because it's poorly written, but it's more so because it's different than what you're used to, and it's maybe different than what you are naturally apt at writing yourself. And oftentimes it's different than your own opinions or your own perspective. This idea of perspective is, is one that often comes up in all my writing classes, whether it's creative writing or, or technical writing. I mean, understanding your audience and sort of what their ideas are, what their views are, what their opinions are, what their biases are, what they know or don't know about different situations. These are, are exceedingly relevant questions worth identifying and answering in most forms of writing, again, whether they be technical or creative. And so I say in general that that's perhaps the best thing that you can do in terms of exposing yourself to different mindsets and two different ways of expressing different ideas, different emotions. When I think about, for example, my own writing career, I think about how in grad school, one of my favorite parts of the program I attended was, was the fact that we studied all different types of writing. I'm a fiction writer by trade, but we studied poetry, we studied prose, we studied longer form, shorter form, and all types of different writing in, all in between. But I think the most helpful class I actually took in grad school was a class on screenwriting and taking a story and really outlining how each section connects to the, the next section through essentially dialogue alone. It really taught me a lot about dialogue, but really taught me a lot about plot structure and uh, cause and effect of character motivations versus character actions and how those, those two impact one another. And that in turn helped inform my other types of prose writing. So I think reading and studying different types of work is both in content as well as form can really inform you as to, okay, what are the different tools that might be available to you that you haven't previously considered? One example I give to many of my students is that if you read, for example, A Tale of Two Cities, perfect example where rules are only rules as long as they are effective rules. And what I mean by that is that if you ask yourself, what is the first line of A Tale of Two Cities? You might rightfully answer, it was the best of times, it was the worst of times. That's a pretty famous opening line. One of, one of maybe the, the top 10 most famous opening lines of English literature, right? Almost everybody has heard this line, even if they don't know what 
what book it's from or who the author was. What I would say 99% of people who have heard this line don't know is that that's not actually the first line. That's only the first part of the first line, which continues on for essentially, I believe, an entire paragraph. And if you were to write that in a typical essay or story in my class, I very well may say that's a run-on sentence. Break it up. It's too long. That's your opening line. You already have run-on sentences. And the first line, the first paragraph, the first line of the first paragraph of your story, that's too much. You're not going to engage the reader. And in fact, I've, I've gotten as much commentary back on my own writing before. Now, the question is, why does that novel get away with that technique? But you can't. You're not able to for some reason. It's a good question, right? And the answer is that the reason why Charles Dickens can get away with that and you can't is because you're not Charles Dickens. <laughs> Similarly, Cormac McCarthy, I believe, who wrote The Road, uh, which if you've seen the movie, it's great. If you've read the book, it's even better, in my opinion. Great example of a book where you read through and you very quickly realize that he's doing something that, again, probably 99% of authors in this case wouldn't even attempt to do, let alone could pull off, which is he doesn't use quotation marks in the entire story. And there's plenty of dialogue. And again, a layperson looking at that from a technical perspective might say, well, wait a minute, where are all the quotation marks? This is all grammatically incorrect. And yet it works. I believe it won the Pulitzer Prize. Another good question. How does Cormac McCarthy get away with that? But if you did that in one of my creative fiction classes and submitted it, very likely mark those lack of quotation marks. Unless, again, you are at the, the aptitude of a Cormac McCarthy. And again, I'm not saying that you have to be as great of a writer as somebody like him to, to pull that off. But he's wording, he's choosing his words and phrasing and, and order and structure and flow and pacing in a very specific way to allow that technique to work, not only work, but be effective. And it takes exposing yourself to sort of these, these very different techniques and, and, how, and asking how and why they work the way that they do to really understand how a writer can get away with that, how an author can pull that off. And in fact, those answers that sort of inform your assessment of how he pulls that off may work in different ways rather than just teaching you how to not use quotation marks in your writing. You again may pick up on that effect and say, well, actually, I could use this to just express this emotion in a different way. Another one of my favorite examples is On the Road by Jack Kerouac, which, I mean, 
some of Jack Kerouac's writing, he has cha- entire chapters that are one sentence. It's <laughs> from an objective standpoint, seemingly utter madness. But again, he's going for a specific style, a specific tone, a specific voice that is only his own and that perhaps only he can pull off. But others who really feel and look at and try to understand what he's doing can find their own voice in their own way. And so that's why I say reading all types of writing, not just types of writing that you like, can really make a huge difference in your own writing, whatever type of writing you do. And in fact, just the examples I gave between Charles Dickens, Cormac McCarthy, and Jack Kerouac, I mean, you know, those are very, very different authors in terms of their style and their form and, and, and again, what techniques they go for. So this takes time to do this much reading, but it, it certainly reaps benefits in the long run. And it, it challenges and develops your ideas further as you keep writing yourself, which is my second piece of advice. If my first piece of advice is to read, read, and read more, and I should addendum that by saying, you can also audiobook, listen to audiobooks. I'm actually a huge fan of audiobooks, but there's something about the written word, especially seeing those form and style techniques written out that I think is particularly useful to learning more about writing yourself. But it's always good to have a balance, so maybe a little bit of both. But again, my second advice, piece of advice, would be to write, write, and write more. Now, I've fallen into this, again, what I guess there's no better way to summarize it than calling it a trap, where I feel as if I have a good idea or a good example or a good technique or a good character trait or a good plot device or plot twist, but I don't have the rest of the body of what I want to do around that element. And so I feel like I should save it. I should save it for the right time. And looking back on that mindset, I can think of few others that are as stagnating as having that mindset and withholding those those techniques, those elements from my writing. And so I always say, write what you, I mean, ideally write what you think is going to work, but write what you're not sure is going to work too. And write anything. One of my favorite self-teaching techniques that I've picked up over the years is to write about seemingly mundane everyday life things in a way that expresses them uniquely or specifically to those moments. And in fact, I've taken it a step further where I used to actually, when I would go on on a run like a jog, I would sometimes think in that mindset and ask myself like, ooh, this is a beautiful scene of the sun through the fall leaves, you know, glistening and whatnot. Won't get into the description now, but I would ask myself exactly that. How do I write that? from a literary perspective, to reveal something about the the mood or the moment 
something connecting to a thematic, um, you know, sort of idea of a moment, right? Whether that's happiness or hope or, you know, fear, anxiety, there's a lot that you can do in those descriptions. And I used to actually stop to write down those feelings. And what I wound up having, having was a journal of just random musings like that. Which, again, is not a bad idea to do. But what I developed that into was describing those same feelings in writing form in my head and internalizing how I made those connections and thinking, this is how I would describe that scene for a certain thematic situation. And let me really feel how I got there. And... My thinking being that when I do have to emulate such description or technique in a different situation, but with a similar sort of goal, I'll sort of have the instinct of how to do that, or I'll sort of have the internalization of what techniques to rely on in order to to do that. And so I always say to just write, even if it's a little bit a day, whether it's a new blurb or having a journal is great. I know a lot of students, especially of mine, who keep journals for various reasons. I mean, sometimes it's just good to write out your ideas from a emotional, almost therapeutic perspective can be very helpful. I've known writers who, in fact, do that. They have, I knew, I know uh, one writer who, I believe she's a therapist and she actually does workshops um, with, with writing for people with trauma. So there's a lot of, again, very different applications in terms of why you might write. And some of it's as simple as as that, writing for yourself to get your thoughts down and get your ideas out on paper, get your feelings out on paper to really work through them. And other times, you're working on technique, you're working on form, and you might not use all that writing. That's something that oftentimes students, I feel, are, are quite shocked about when I tell them that, I, I don't know if I would say most of the writing I've ever done has never been published. No, I would say that. I would say that most of the writing I've ever done has not been published because I've written entire novels that will never see the light of day. And the reason why I don't think of those as failures is because those works have taught me what to do and what not to do to write not just a novel, but writing in general, different you know, versions of stories in general. And so you you have to think of it in that way. You have to think of all of this as a learning experience. And again, it informs in different ways what your writing turns out to be. And today I write all sorts of works. I write essays, nonfiction essays. And when I say write, I these are the types of works that I publish. Um, so sometimes nonfiction essays, uh, sometimes short stories, again, fiction writer by trade. Other times blogs. I love blog writing, uh, those types of, of musings, that sort of stuff. So there's a lot of applications, again, thinking back to my original ideas of, well, being a writer is publishing novels where I wouldn't have thought that there were these other options initially. So I can't reiterate that enough. But my third And I think in some ways most important advice that I give to students 
is to do, do, do. And by that, I don't mean, I don't know if I should say this because of copyright infringement, but I don't know who's listening anyway, so I will. I don't mean Baby Shark, but I mean experience, experience, experience. And by experience, I mean go live life. Which, of course, like so much of this, and so much of what I feel like I, I've said in, in most of these these lectures is is far easier said than done. Especially if you have you know, any types of issues in terms of anxiety, uh, you know, self-doubt, depression, there's a lot that can hold you back from different experiences, different life experiences. But as much as you can, given your situation, you want to push yourself as much as you can, as much as you're capable. And what, what I mean by that is push yourself to go to different places, put yourself in different situations, obviously being safe, of course, but meet new people, you know, and even as simple as, like I said, going out for a run or a walk. Like I said last episode, you know, going to clean your beach. I've gained so many experiences and had so many interesting conversations walking on the beach and, and beach cleaning and running into strange critters and all sorts of strange abandoned trash objects. And I mean, go back to the last episode and listen if you're interested, but uh, and, and meeting very interesting people with very interesting perspectives. So I think doing different things, especially outside of your comfort zone, that can sort of inform your broader worldview. And again, coming back to what we said earlier about perspective, I think that can make a big difference. And so those would be the, the three I find most useful pieces of advice for anybody who wants to be, quote unquote, a writer. Again, working towards figuring out, well, what do you really mean by that? To become a writer. Because as I said earlier, I think being a writer is, is as simple as just writing. It's the one, I had an instructor in grad school who pointed this out, that the beautiful thing about writing is that it's one of the few arts that you really, really doesn't require much investment. For example, if you want to be a musician, well, you better have a fair amount of money to dole out for the instruments, for the tools themselves, right? If you want to be a painter, well, I don't even know how much paint supplies cost, but I imagine it's pricier than many people might believe. You want to be a sculptor? I don't even know where you buy sculpting stuff. But if you want to be a writer... All you need is a pen and paper, or if you already have a computer, you're set up, you're good to go. The other piece of advice <laughs> I sometimes give to those who are slightly... Okay, I, I say this as with, with the, the caveat of this is a bit facetious, but, but I tell those who are a little more advanced in their writing is that you're either going to write or you're not going to write. And you have to ask yourself, again, these similar questions of sort of why do you want to write and what do you want to say? Again, you have to have something to say. And this is why these other pieces of advice, advice that I've mentioned are so important. If you don't have worldly experience, how are you going to say something that's interesting or different? You could have all the technique in the world, but if you don't have original thoughts, your writing is like a zombie 
It's just a shell. You need a live body. You need spirit to your work and to your writing. And so sometimes I tell people if I feel like they need that push, well, either do it or don't. But if you're going to do it, then do it right. It sort of reminds me, there's a similar quote, I don't know it exactly, by Elon Musk, where he sort of tells young entrepreneurs to quit, to not become entrepreneurs because of the struggle and the doubt and the, the work, the painstaking efforts and the constant failure. And it sounds an awful lot to me like what being a writer is like because one of the big things that turns people off very quickly or over time grinds them down and sort of checks them out of writing anything anymore is the near constant failure. <laughs> and but what I mean by near constant failure is it, it's, it's multifaceted. It's sometimes trying to write something and it just doesn't work out. You get writer's block, you get you know lost, tired, confused, whatever. You don't know where to go. You've spent all this time trying to write this book and you kind of have to be honest after a while and you say, boy, this book sucks. I, I wasted six months, I wasted half a year, I wasted a year, I wasted two years. Again, if you think of it as a learning experience, though, none of it is wasted. And that's similar to what Elon Musk says, which is that most of you will fail. The question really is whether or not you'll rise from, from those, those ashes of your own work. And it takes, there's no way to sugarcoat it. It takes, it takes guts and it takes dedication, but it, that's like anything else in life that you want to do. If you really want something that's important to you, it doesn't come without sacrifice and it doesn't come without a great deal of long, 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 hard work and failure. And learning, like we said. The, <laughs> the other thing I tell students as well is that I have two folders side by side in my email account, one of which is titled acceptances and one of which is titled rejections. And this, of course, is where I sort all my literary acceptances for stories I've submitted or essays I've submitted and all my rejections where it comes back and they were not accepted. And if I were to give you the math on what percentage each folder has of my writing, I might be embarrassed because it's overwhelmingly rejections. But one thing to keep in mind is that that oftentimes is not an indictment on your writing itself. Sometimes it is. Sometimes it's just not a great story, but oftentimes it's just not what they're looking for, for whatever reasons. And sometimes those reasons are relatively or utterly seemingly arbitrary. And in fact, they'll encourage you thusly. I mean, I've gotten plenty of rejection letters that say as much. They say, this is a fantastic story, but it's not exactly what we're looking for. Or it's not the right theme for our issue but we want you to submit more if you have others, you know, submit others. So there's all sorts of reasons why they might reject a story of yours or a piece of writing of yours. So don't always take that the wrong way. But if they do have critiques that are 
relevant to, again, helping to further develop you as a writer, you want to take advantage of that for sure. And so lastly, one of the, I think, most salient points I try to make to students who are interested in writing, and again, when I say interested in writing, I mean beyond just the assignments that we do in class. They they sort of have this this you know hunger or passion to to write something more. One of the things I tell them because this comes up all the time, and I, I feel like I really do suffer from imposter syndrome, which is this feeling that you're you're not good enough for what you do, and you're sort of a fraud for that reason, especially compared to your contemporaries, which I feel all the time because some of my colleagues um, at university who are published authors as well, I'm blown away by the work that they do. And I think it is objectively fantastic work if, you know, we can ever consider writing to be objective. But anyways, I get this from students all the time as well, who when they see my writing, they're, they're often, I mean, so they tell me they're, you know, blown away. They, they're fascinated, you know, by some of my work that I've done. And that, again, in a lot of ways makes me feel insecure because I feel like I'm not that good because I always want to do better. And you have to maintain that perspective that, yes, of course you can keep improving, but that shouldn't degrade from what you've done, from where you've gotten to, what you've accomplished. And so I constantly have to remind myself of that. But what I tell them is that, and this is a point worth emphasizing, that I'm only, quote, a better writer than them because I've been failing at writing for longer than they have. And I think that's probably, of all of this advice, the best advice I can give. And it's not really a piece of advice more than what I believe to be a true fact. I know people who would be better writers than I am if they committed to the craft and stuck with it. And again, for, you know, oftentimes good reasons, they find other passions that they move on into. Great, fantastic. Not everybody should be writing. But I've only gotten to where I have because I've learned from the lessons that I have, I have been through and that I've internalized those lessons moving forward. And that's what I try to tell my students, again, who are interested. And I, you know, it's funny how now I'm the one who I didn't even realize to do it my first few semesters, but I will sometimes now after a semester ends, either through email or sometimes talking to students after class. I did this a couple semesters ago. I told a student on the last day of class, can you see me afterwards? And he was, <laughs> I think, similarly nervous to how I was way back when, over a decade ago, when my teacher, professor, told me to stay after class. And he similarly, he wasn't really into writing. I had had conversations with him earlier, and he said that he wasn't really into writing because he didn't really get it. But his voice and his work that he had written was so distinct and so unique, but so on point in terms of a specific voice 
that I told him don't think about writing as being a published novelist. The student was also uh, an artist. He was uh, he would draw a lot. And I said I told him how there's you know there's all sorts of web comics like different types of uh, comic books, graphic novels. And I said you should check some of those out. You should read some of those, and you should think about if you do have a story that you want to tell. If there's some new medium that you can look into, because you have that spirit, like I said, of the written word, it's it's in in your voice. And I could I could see he sort of nodded, huh? Okay, cool. And so I don't know. I haven't talked to him since. I don't know if or what he might do with that, but I think it's important that you identify those those potentialities for those who might not realize them. Because if, if my instructors had not done so for me, I don't know if I would have kept writing and I don't know if I would be a writer and I don't know if I would be teaching writing and telling others how best to try to realize their own passions. So just to reiterate, there are many types of writers. There are many types of writing situations. And especially in this technological era, I mean, look at me right now. I have a bit of an outline that I wrote, that I write for each of these lectures. And in fact, I write outlines for all my lectures. But there's so many different iterations where writing today can be useful Again, whether personally for yourself or for entertainment value. I mean, the internet's still changing, still evolving. Who knows what other forms there will be in another five years, in another 10 years. It's one of the things we study in my, I teach a flash, flash fiction writing course some semesters and the types of different short form writing that have arisen because of the internet and, and are continuing to develop. I mean, there's no shortage of avenues you can, you can go down with your own creative projects and own expressive output. So I would say just to keep that in mind as you explore all the different types of writing and how to become your own type of writer. So as always, thanks for joining us today. Uh, join us next week, again, as always, at 4 p.m., EST, or so I think, I don't know, maybe we'll change that date and time, but that's what I decided when we normally post, so that's when we're going to continue posting in, until further notice. As always, please, please comment if you have ideas. I'm sure I said something wrong here. I always worry sometimes, especially when I'm talking about authors and books, that I'm getting them mixed up, so I don't think I did this episode, but uh, again, I, I've had plenty of lectures in class where students you know, cautiously raise their hand and say, uh, I don't think that is who you think it is. And, uh, I have to hope that they're wrong, but sometimes they're correct. So if you have, uh, not just corrections, but, uh, just comments on, on any of the thoughts that we've shared or your own writing advice. I, again, I, like I said, I'm always learning. I would love to hear your own writing advice. Please do share again, whether here, if you go to our main page, which is, professorlabs.podbean.com. There's links to our Twitter and YouTube and Facebook page. So you can follow us on any of those. And again, you can share your own thoughts or comments. We also have a Patreon 
Um, that's at patreon.com slash professor labs. There's a link to that as well on the Podbean page and uh, check that out if you'd like to support us at all and get some bonuses thrown in with that. Uh, and again, we're always open to ideas and suggestions here as well as uh, in addition to building upon the lectures and experiences that, as we say, we've had in the classroom here. So thank you all again for, for joining us and uh, hopefully we, we'll see you all next week. So until next time, keep thinking and of course, keep writing too.